Hey folks, it's John from A's for Alcoholic again. Uh, today's conversation is with Julia Kay. She is a comedian, actress, writer. She goes by Rehab Girlfriend online. You can find her on TikTok, on Instagram. And we got to talk about all the stuff that her comedy comes from. Relapse, recovery, rehab, relationships. There's a lot of R's in there. We talked about a lot of other stuff. Uh, questioning your thinking and trying to figure out this thing inside of us that causes us to do the dumb things we don't want to do. <laughs> uh, it was an awesome conversation. It was really great to meet her and chat with her. Again, I highly suggest you go check her out online, Rehab Girlfriend. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Julia Kay. how I found you was on TikTok of all places, which I find more people, you and there's another gentleman by the name of Sean Barry Parsons that I highly suggest. He does he does awesome comedy and he is also sober and he was on the podcast as well. So his TikTok is hilarious. Okay, I'll have to follow him. Sean, um, S-H-A-W-N? S-E-A-N. S-E-A-N, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. And I, I remember what I liked about the TikToks you were doing at, um, rehab girlfriend was not only they, well, obviously a lot of this comedy is very dark because we're dealing with dark subjects, but it was really funny and it was really poignant. And I've never been in a rehab facility. I've never, I should have, I think. I'm pretty sure I could have benefited from one instead of doing what I did, which I wouldn't suggest. But um, so, and I really love too that you, there was that one particular song so that every time the song would come on, it kind of cued me up sonically to go like, oh, this is, this is her thing. That's really good. I'm glad that you say that actually, because I got kind of insecure about how many um, videos that I was putting in the beginning, but that was kind of what I was going for. Yeah, um, you nailed it. Associated. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes, you totally nailed it. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that background music. And, um, and I think um, what you were saying about not going to re- a rehab facility, not everyone, a lot of people say that they haven't. I re- mm-hmm. was realizing like how how privileged I am kind of to have gone so many times because mm-hmm. a lot of the reason why I um like I was just talking to um Ronnie Mor- Morales which is uh another really good TikTok he's a great another sober TikToker that I love um uh, talking about this the other day um like how every joke that I write is runs through automatically the recovery filter because that's what I've been steeped in for so many years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I'm a lot of the jokes run through the rehab filter, like by default, because I've gone so many times. Um, but I'm realizing that that's, that's not everyone's experience. A lot of people had to do it on their own um, or with like 12 step programs, self-help programs, or just like deciding to kind of make a lifestyle change on their own. So it's been really interesting um, yeah. to hear about other people's experiences. Yeah. Too. So it's, and it, it doesn't, I guess too, the stuff that you do and the comedy that you put out and the stuff that you write is not, um, it's not unrelatable for someone who's never been to rehab. Cause I know 
even though I've never been there, I understand. I've heard the stories enough. I've talked to people. Um, I there's still a lot. Of, like it's hugely relatable in in that respect. Oh, you good. Know? Good. I'm yeah. glad. Um, but Julia, thank you for for doing this. And um, and I my favorite question. Well, my favorite question that I like to ask people um, first off is. What's your earliest memory with with alcohol or substance abuse, whether it be with yourself or as a family member or, you know, how did you come across it? Was it something you grew up with or something that came in later in life? Um, my earliest memory was when I first learned what drug addiction was, mm -hmm. um, was from my grandmother. I had, I was like maybe six years old um and i had uh my first mocha i went to like pete's and got a, my first like mocha caffeinated beverage um that morning and i couldn't sleep that night and so she was telling me stories to help me sleep um because i was staying over at her house and she told me about um this neighbor of ours who had struggled with addiction and kind of tried to explain to me what that was like but it scared me you know i was too young to kind of understand really what it was um and so i was really terrified and then i guess that stuck with me and a couple weeks later um i was at my mom's house and i was crying and i was like mom i think i'm on drugs <laughs> But I didn't know, of course, I, I just had no concept of kind of what it was. But then, um, so I thought that I was never going to do any drugs or touch alcohol. Like, that's what I told myself growing up. That was like my idealized mm -hmm. thing. Not that I had any reason to. Like, no, I didn't grow up with like um, necessarily like if I grew up with alcoholism, which I did kind of, I didn't really notice it because mm -hmm. um, um, the people in my family that were alcoholics, I wasn't that close to, or, um, they were like functional. So yeah, when I was 13, I had my first experience with weed. Um, I just decided that it was something that I wanted to do. And so I asked the cool stoner girl that I knew in my class to, um, if she would smoke me out with this other cool stoner girl and they did, and it was not a good experience for me, I got really paranoid and about getting caught and that I was very socially anxious that I was embarrassing myself in front of these very cool other preteens. And <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, but I still did it. I still sought it out because I thought it was cool. Huh. And so were you, <clears throat> after that experience, did you, this obviously wasn't the thing that was, that was, that you expected it to be. It was pretty awful. Did, did it, how long before you, you found yourself back into or interested in drugs or, and or alcohol? Um, it was pretty instantaneous. Like, even though I didn't, um, so I know that it's in my blood. I have a lot of relatives, um, yeah. that, that have battled with addiction also have lost a couple. Um, and so I think, but it took me a while to find like my poison, you know? Um, so uh, when I found alcohol, that was kind of more, I liked it. I liked what it did for me. You know, it was mm -hmm. more of an escape. Um, it gave me more of, I think what I was looking for. And I had that instant relief, that instant, why doesn't everyone do this all the time? 
type of feeling like that was the escape that I that I had been looking for um through so many avenues before that like self-harm um boys distractions you know um and was self-harm something you were doing as well early on yeah I'd say that that was the first like that was my gateway to addiction I think and it behaved in a lot of the same ways like the lying um the feeling special because I had a secret this is something I'm doing um to myself that no one knows about um kind of like a externalization of the inside like pain that I didn't know how to deal with um Mm -hmm. and then like trying to stop not being able to stop doing it even though I didn't want to do it anymore um having to like come out and tell my parents about it when I was like 13 14 around the time that like my um like substance addiction started kind of taking off around the same time I think they're related in a way um you you replaced one for the other or they kind of came, they they were happening at the same time it was anything I could get yeah. my hands on really to make myself feel different mm-hmm. um so yeah I kind of swapped I would I would swap things out you know sure whatever works best whatever works best whatever's available right whatever yeah yeah um so this is happening that's what 13 or 14 is is junior high or high school yeah you Um, find alcohol and everything's great yeah um everything's great it's not because i have the instant consequences instant like oh my gosh that was humiliating i like said and did all these things that at the time i felt really free enough to do but then looking back, I don't like that. Oh, that means I need to drink more the next time that I hang out with those friends that, you know, and, um, and then, oh, well, I don't like vacuuming the house when my parents aren't home. Let me just go kind of explore the liquor cabinet, take a couple of shots of Smirnoff, and then I'll have much more fun vacuuming the house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was, it kind of, um, got it was never in my control I don't think I think I was pretty much hooked on it from from the time that I tried it I definitely would um there's been many times in my life in my drinking uh life that doing housework was always like oh well we'll just we'll loosen up we'll have some fun we got all this you know and it was usually because of, of some great amount of destruction that I had caused within the house, just, you know, days after days of drinking and smoking and not cleaning up after myself and then thinking, Oh, I just need to catch a little buzz and we'll get this all tidied up and everything will be great. And almost never did that happen. Not completely. Right. right? Um, so you're drinking and you're vacuuming and, um, and this is like high school days and you're saying that you're finding immediate consequences through shame and guilt. Um, was it, soon thereafter that that rehab I mean how long before rehab came to the picture how how long before there was a a severe enough problem for you to or was it you who who said I need to go to rehab um how did that come about question I I find myself talking about my early experiences with it um Mm -hmm. a lot when when I kind of launch into my story and I wonder why that is sometimes, I think it's because um, 
I just got so into the mm -hmm. cycle of addiction, you know, of like you said, the shame and the guilt. Oh, then I drink more to try and fix that. Then more problems, then trying to drink more to fix them. And then, you know, um, or use more, finding different drugs, ways and means to get more. The whole hamster wheel cycle that I forgot, like the, the core reasons of what led me there and what it was like when it was still working. Um, and then as time went on, as I got older, um, it just was, I guess to answer your question, um, at the end of high school is kind of when I think it started to show. Mm -hmm. I was never very good at, at being functional with it. Um, and at the end of high school, I had, found a way to get my hands on a Xanax prescription, which would quickly become my most destructive jug of choice. Um, and I took way too much of it before prom. And um, my parents were really terrified. They were like, what? They couldn't smell anything, but they knew that I was out of it. Um, so that kind of alerted them to the, that was a problem. And luckily I had two um, people in my immediate family who had experience with um, 12 step programs. One of them offered to take me to my first meeting and I went, I thought that it had nothing to do with me. I just did not know what I was doing there, but I did it to get the heat off, you know? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I moved in with my grandparents, um, and went to college and that, um, budding, <laughs> budding young addict given a whole bunch of new freedom and a whole new chance, right, to start over. Like I had mm -hmm. so much at stake from, oh, I thought that I wrecked high school. You know, I thought that I blew it. I lost all my friends. I embarrassed myself. But now I'm going to college. I have all this freedom. It's new and shiny and full of potential and I better not blow it. And then once I inevitably did, because I was still drinking and using and doing the same things, um, then I just went fully off the deep end and my family like intervened um, had like a little intervention and made me go to rehab for the first time. What was that like? Like an intervention? I mean, how, what was, yeah, what was that like? It was really loving. It was one of the most loving things that anyone's ever done for me. Um, and so it touched me. Um, I didn't understand though, still what addiction was. Um, or how it applied to me or what it was going to mean for me. It still didn't connect with, okay, if I'm an addict and I need help, I'm going to have to actually change what I'm doing genuinely. Um, mm -hmm. But it was good. You know, I've had, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of family members that have been willing to support me and stand by me and, and keep me accountable. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the first introduction. And then um, that was like in the middle of my first year of college when I was 19. And then just, I didn't stop, obviously, and things continued to happen. Um, and I eventually hit another bottom and went to residential for the first time, an all women's residential in San Mateo. Um, after I was, um, you know, out there running away from home using, um, and I was sexually assaulted. Um, and that was kind of a wake up call, you know, and I, um, 
I kind of gave up at that point. You know, I was like, I can't do this anymore. I called my, I called my mom and I was like, I need, you know, I needed help and she helped me. And then I think I was at that point ready to accept help, but I wasn't ready to stop using, but going to rehab was a great experience because it helped me um, heal a little bit and learn about um, the disease. Yeah. So, so you were able to go to rehab, you were able to see that maybe there was a problem and that there was potential to change and feel better and to grow out of those things, but you still weren't ready to stop using or drinking this yeah. first time. Yeah. I thought I could still control it. Um, <clears throat> mm-hmm. I thought that I, yeah, I thought that I could still control it. Um, the first time that I went to residential, I would go four more times after that each time I'd learn a little bit more and like, it just took so long to get through to me. Cause I thought I was special or an exception or, um, you know, that I could make exceptions for different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of phased things out one by one Xanax. Um, that was easy. Cause it brought so many consequences that ultimately I just couldn't pretend anymore that it was still working. So I gave up on that, but then alcohol, admitting that I was powerless over alcohol and that I really couldn't drink again if I wanted to lead the kind of life that I ultimately kind of wanted to, um, that I would have to give that up. That took longer, much longer, but luckily now I'm there. So, okay. And so what does that look like in, in the midst of you, you say, you know, you went to rehab four times, five, four, four times, or however many, several times, several times, several times. Um, what does, what does control look like in those moments where, you know, you're, you say you're released from rehab. I've learned a little bit. I feel better. I feel like, and so what does control look like with alcohol when you were, when you thought that you could, what was it certain hours? Was it certain times? What in your mind at that point felt like control or what did it look like? You know, that's a really good question because now that I think about it, there was none. There wasn't even the illusion of it anymore, but I like, that's the insanity that they talk about, you know, um, Mm -hmm. in 12 step programs, I think is where that originated. Um, But that insanity of, you know, um, or even I think Albert Einstein defined it as trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And that's really where I was at. Like there was no proof that I had any control. Um, I, I, no one around me had any illusions about it, you know, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I still somehow thought that I could make it work. And I just could not, if Mm -hmm. I took a drink, I knew I was going to be drinking nonstop after that. Cause there was no reason for me to stop, you know, I couldn't. And I, and I, knew that's why I went to rehab so many times because I felt like I couldn't do it without being physically separated from it for a period of time and having to have the external restrictions to yeah because you can't control yourself right right well and I don't know if it would have been different if I really tried to do it on my own you know but Mm -hmm. um that's what I needed and that's what keeps me sober today a a big part of what keeps me sober today is that I know that if I was to take a drink, um, you know, like, let's say if I was to go out after talking to you now and take a drink, I know that it would be very, very hard for me to stop. I would wake up the next morning and be, and 
want to have another drink naturally because I did it yesterday. Why not today? Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would likely need to go to rehab or detox again to get that clarity back to realize, oh, no, I cannot do this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I do. Yeah, I, I would think I would do I would do things where I would take a week off or I could even do two weeks. And I thought, and I think there was a couple of times in the many, many years where I took a whole month off and I was like, well, there you go. There you have it. Problem solved. And then just go and like count the days down. You know, that's another thing with people who do the dry January. I'm always hoping that maybe there will bring some, some epiphany to people and that it won't feel like such a prison. Cause that's the, that's sometimes the impression I get from people who say they're doing dry January. And then halfway through the month, they're like, February 1st, man, we're going to get loaded. We're going to get drunk. But, and, but that's exactly what I was like. Cause I would black out the first chance I got. And there was no real control, you know, and I hated it. I hated every day that I was sober. Yeah. So, um, and you talk about healing and understanding and, um, and the education that you got in the rehab, um, in the treatment centers, what was it in the final one that after all of the hamster wheel in and out and insanity that what was the, the thought or the realization that said, oh, this time is going to be different. That's a good question. Another good question. It's really making me think because it was definitely a combination of things. Um, But I think I was tired it was, and I don't want to say that it was all like within me, this sudden realization that I had just based purely on my own thoughts about my own experiences, because I did have a lot of um, constant external reminders and support, um, you know, of like, um, just people that had my best interest at heart and would remind me, I don't think I think that sobriety would be good for you. And I don't think that you can handle drugs and alcohol. Um, and then, but for me, it was like, God, man, this is a, a really, really, really good question. Oh, it, cause <laughs> I realized, I felt, I knew that I was going to die. I got, I see, I forget my brain wants, like, I forget mm-hmm. because I, you know, um, I don't know why it's so hard to remember. I don't know if that's part of the disease, but it feels like it probably might be. Um, I knew that I was going to die if I continued. Um, it was kind of a spiritual experience that I had. I've had a number, um, over the years, but this time with this particular experience, I felt like, um, death was close. And I got a sense that if I continued to keep doing what I knew I wasn't supposed to do, um, like, you know how, I don't know, there was a time when I was picking up and it was like, I might die. I don't know what's in this pill that I bought off the street. I am not living with anyone. I'm by myself. Um, I'm mixing things. I'm not keeping track of how much I'm mixing. I'm getting into dangerous situations. 
um, I might die if I take this. And then I would take it anyways. Um, and so it felt like I was living on borrowed chances because I'd had a million of those chances and I'd gambled on like every single one of them. And, um, and so this time I got a sense from a higher power or whatever it may be that if I continue to do that, I wasn't going to have many, much more left. And that reminder is now all, always in the back of my head. And so I decided that I had to do something else, even if it wasn't going to be as like fun or whatever, I could have possibly been squeezing out of that pipe dream this whole time. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't try that anymore. I had to try something else. Yeah. And uh, how long was that was that rehab that last one this last one was at diamond house in sacramento and it was about 70 days 10 days okay. of box and 60 of residential so that seems like a fair amount of time that's a that's a substantial amount of time to spend in rehab is it isn't it it is. Yeah. I extended from, I extended after the detox. I extended after, um, the first 30 days, you know, you go first 30 days. And then if you want to do an additional 30, you have to request it and get approved through insurance and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not the longest stay that I've had in rehab. The longest stay that I had was 90 days. Um, and the shortest that I've had is 45, but, um, yeah, I've known people that have done more, more or less time than that. But yeah, it was a long time. I'm grateful I had enough time because it takes me a, a while to get that reasonable thinking back. <laughs> it takes what it takes, doesn't it? Um, what is it? What did you find in in rehab that you don't think you could have found on your own or elsewhere? Um, what are the things? What were the really important things that you were like, "Wow, I'm so glad I had this," or I can't believe this, this wasn't here before, or how come I didn't see this? What were the things that really helped support you in your time there? Especially, I mean, in the last one, the one that stuck. Um, I think the, it's an, another great question. Um, Like were there people or programs or processes that? Yeah, there, it was, it was all of, it was all of that, the connecting with people, um, you know, waking up with them, going through the day, um, being reminded that we're all kind of dealing with the same thing. And if these other people are doing it with what they're going through, then I can give it a chance and see if <clears throat> do it too mm -hmm. what I'm going through that was really important um I remember the first day that I got in to rehab sitting down at a meal with other people when I had been isolating using in my room for what felt like an eternity um I was so relieved I was like oh hi guys <laughs> I didn't know if I was gonna be able to make it back here you know um uh -huh. so the connections um and and uh learning also about my thinking patterns, the CBT element of it, um, cognitive behavioral therapy element of, of finally being able to get in the habit of questioning my thoughts mm -hmm. and planning my actions was invaluable. 
questioning your thoughts and planning your actions. That's good. That sound that's good advice. I haven't heard that one before. (laughs) It's probably um, it's like it's because I was I'm trying to give an example of like how it worked because sometimes I would get thoughts that felt very real. Well, thoughts that I believed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that felt like they must be real, and then emotions that felt like very real also like oh um a big thing for me is social anxiety I'm worried what people think of me I really need them to like me um and that gets very tiring (laughs) um and that's ends up you know eventually where I feel like I need to drink to make it go away and so what's been useful is um learning how to notice what's coming up for me oh I'm afraid um my friend uh Natasha is mad at me Um, and then I get to question like, oh, well, do I have any evidence for that? Did she say that? No. Okay. Um, then they suspend and give that the benefit of the doubt, you know, or maybe ask her learning to be more transparent and honest. Um, and like, I don't know, just putting, putting less pressure on myself to have control over what people think of me and everything that's going on in the room you know yeah we call it a uh, sometimes we call it a shit fuck stack because especially with with thoughts because one thought will come and then i'll stack something else and then i'll stack something else and, or it could be every single problem that i have in the world right imagined small large real and so but those thoughts will just compound and on and they'll build on top of each other until it's completely overwhelmed i'm completely overwhelmed everybody hates me i can't do anything right you know what i mean and i'm just like oh my god where did all this start and you're like okay well maybe let's question that first that first one where you were like yeah oh well you know stupid stuff like for me a lot of times it's i can't get to sleep like I put my phone on the other side of the room, I turn all the lights off, I give myself time and I'm like, well, great, now I can't sleep. And now has it been 30 minutes? It could have been 90 minutes. Great, now I can't sleep, it's been 90 minutes, so it must be one o'clock in the morning. My next day is already ruined. I already start thinking about how much is ruined yeah. for tomorrow and I haven't even fallen asleep. And right. so I go, okay, I just kind of breathe easy and say, John, this is just your meditation time. You didn't meditate at all today. So you're going to lay here and you're just going to let the thoughts flow. You're going to all those silly little exercises that you don't seem to want to listen to. You do them now and you just let it go. And so, yeah, I mean, just questioning the thoughts and, and what was the other, what was the other part? Planning your actions. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's, you know, being more intentional with how you behave and, and what you do and how you spend your time. Right. You just yeah. explained it so beautifully. That's <laughs> okay. You did it like that. That's the thank you because uh, well, that, that's exactly yes. I'm exactly the same way. This shit fucks. <laughs> and that's from a um. There's there's a comedian um slash musician that I really love. His name's Reggie Watts, and he does a lot of comedy. I don't know if you have ever heard of him. Um, yeah. like back in the '90s, he was in this like soul and funk band in Seattle, which is where I first heard of him. And then to come to find out he does comedy, which is just, he's just a very bizarre, strange, fascinating dude. And he's done Ted talks and he's written albums. And so, um, but he has a song, I think it's called shit fuck stack. 
And so that's where the idea came from. And I was like, that's exactly what I do in my own alcoholic brain, you know? Yeah, I love that. Um, but so rehab, you're finally here. You've decided this is the one that's going to stick. Um, how long has it been? How long do you have sober today? That is another good question. It's a bigger, it's so. Or how do you define it? That's a, that's a question that I've been asking myself lately. So basically just to be really, really honest and get down to Mm -hmm. the, the, what I've been trying to figure out lately. So I entered into rehab this most recent time on February 4th of last year, 2020. So it will be in like three days. Technically, it's been a year since I've picked up any Xanax or meth or alcohol or weed or any like of the mind altering substances, opiates, any of those ones. But I'm also a pill head. So I will, I've abused many things <laughs> like over the counter sleep aids doesn't really give you a high, just makes you super mm. uncomfortable. Why am I doing that? Um, or yes. like overtaking my like blood pressure medication. What will an extra propranolol do to me? Will it make me less anxious? No. Okay. Well, I'm going to try it 10 more times and see if maybe one of those I get lucky and hit the jackpot. Um, and so there's been that there was also, I, have been going through trying to figure out if my relationship with the medication I take for ADHD, one of the medications, um, Adderall, extended release Adderall, which I used to identify as one of my drugs of choice. I've abused the hell out of that in the past. Mm -hmm. I've also used it for a long time and it's helped me like as a medication, you know what I mean? And so um, lately I've been trying to figure out whether that's going to affect my date. I did reset my date like publicly on TikTok a few months ago when I was um, taking more Adderall than prescribed and was um, uh, one time I like mixed like other prescription medications that I had that weren't like a controlled substance. Um, That was a dangerous mixture on accident because I couldn't sleep. Um, taking Benadryl because I want like some extra crazy dreams, you know, just different things that I was doing around the time that like, um, you know, my sponsor was like, you probably really need to reset your date, I think. Right. <laughs> um, and so I've, but I've gone back and forth on like, well, how do I celebrate, um, you know, not picking up all the things that I used to pick up? Um, and how do I celebrate that and continue with my work on that um and or and i don't know just kind of figuring out if my ideal of sobriety which is not reaching ever for anything outside of myself to try and change how i feel on the inside um whether that's realistic or attainable (laughs) um so it's just like i don't i don't know and i feel very it's a very hard thing for me to talk about and i'm ashamed to say that because i I, I tell everyone that they shouldn't be ashamed of wherever they're at, you know, and it's something that I preach to people online and then, but then meanwhile, I'm not very open about like the questions that I'm struggling with. Um, I, I, well, thank you for 
for sharing here. I know, you know, it's, it's a little bit different in a, in a longer conversation like this than trying to fit everything into a 60 second TikTok necessarily. But I, I appreciate you doing that. And I think it's important to say, I feel shame because I'm not always, because when I know that, and it was said to me just the other day that pain shared is pain lessened as in it's, you know, it's, it's less than it's been, it's been lessened. And um, I was like, oh, cause I was complaining about my hips or something like that in running. And this woman that I know, and she says, I haven't been able to run and, and I got COVID and my whole family got COVID and blah, blah, blah. And she was just going, you know, and she not blah, 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 but she was going on about it. And we were talking back and forth. And she said, thank you for sharing that. I, or that that's why, because she, she said, I don't know why I'm telling you all this. And I said, that's fine. Cause you're, cause you can't run and you can't breathe and you're having trouble. And um, the point is, is that the, the thing that she said was pain shared is pain lessened. So, I mean, yeah. And what, what's most important probably that you don't take Xanax, right? What's yeah. most important for me is probably that I don't um, drink alcohol, but I went through a very deep um, I went through a very heavy phase with ice cream. Do I have to reset my date with ice cream? I still am like, I am like these little sugar, you know, demons, dragons, whatever that I have to contend with, you know, that it, and you can't, you can't outrun a, a bad diet. And I know that, but it's always like, you know, the donuts and candy and these things. And it's, so you're right. At what point do we just say, I am free from any searching for anything external to make myself feel different. And I don't know, maybe that's just part of being human, right? Yeah. That's what I've been thinking lately too. Um, I, I just, I wonder. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I mean, wanting to sleep is a pretty, can be a pretty desperate thing too. And I completely understand. I mean, I went through a phase of abusing over-the-counter sleeping meds, you know, the z or whatever, and then waking up and going, oh God, I feel hungover. Like this isn't good. I haven't, I haven't felt hungover in, in, you know, in a year or two years or three years. And here I am not being able to start my day. Right. So it's complicated, man. And <laughs> so, I mean, thank you for, for saying so, because I think it's important for people to, to hear that. Yeah. Thank you for, for, um, you know, making me feel, I feel safe enough to share that here. And I feel like, um, yeah, it is, it, it's complicated. And that complicatedness used to scare me because I used to find comfort in the black and the white, mm-hmm. you know, because, um, but now the gray area is kind of like, it's not as unsettling because it's like, I know not to like, <laughs> not to like in a conversation about like nuance and, and complex uh, definitions of sobriety without an old saying, but the whole progress, not perfection thing. I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I don't have to have it all figured out, but I can um, figure out what works for me and what doesn't. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, it's, it's corny and these things, these sayings and the axioms and the, you know, all the stuff that, that we hear constantly progress, not perfection. Well, I'm another one that I've heard was don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. It's like, oh, okay. So I did some good today. I don't have to be perfect. You know, my diet wasn't perfect, but I didn't drink. And even then after, after so long, I'm like, 
okay, John, well, you need to tackle that problem. And, but I'm also not going to be down on myself because of something that I ate, or if, you know, if I'm struggling with sleep, well, then you have to try something to figure it out, you know, and we're not all going to be able to, we're just not all going to be able to get there as easily as we want. And if that includes, you know, having to struggle with over-the-counter medication, then, then that's another thing. And you're like, oh, okay. So what is actually causing that? And like you said, and I, and I was going to ask you too, and I don't know if this is something that's changed the way that you think uh, going through rehab and going through these programs and getting, you know, what I have found are, are, it was sort of like these tools for life. And the, this, you know, my sponsor called it, he said, John, this is the, uh, this is the missing life. The missing manual is what he called it. And he said, you can basically take this book and you can remove the word alcohol and you, whatever's troubling you just put that in there and then just read the book again. Okay. And so I was like, Oh Jesus. Okay. But he's right. He was right. And so now when I have problems, I can kind of step outside myself a little bit and, you know, look at it and go and be more critical in what I'm actually thinking that I don't have to be swept up in every single thought and every single emotion. Right. Right. And yeah. I wonder, do you, do you feel that way too now that you're being more critical about your behaviors, even if you're not able to, you know, stop them or if you feel guilty or ashamed? Yeah. That's one of the beautiful things that I love about, um, about recovery in general and um, 12 step programs in particular, because it is kind of this universal um, blueprint of a solution um, just, I think for like overall self-improvement or anything that you really want to work on. Cause everyone has, everyone has something like that. And I find myself, um, as I'm trying to be a better person and work on myself and figure out how to live, figure out this manual that I, you know, is missing. Um, it's really useful, um, to have it all laid out the way it is. Um, so yes, uh, I am, it's, it's becoming easier to be gentle on myself while still, um, taking steps to get better and, and trying to be more honest or more whatever, <laughs> you know, insert <laughs> quality here lately for me, it's been like transparency. I've been trying to work on that better. Sure. Well, you want to, I mean, I think that's, that's a good thing to strive for, you know, and not to, to not to say one thing, especially publicly, especially if there are people, strangers on the other side of whatever it is that you are putting out there, you know, and wanting to be like, Hey, I mean this sincerely, not just I'm doing this for likes and points and, you know, because it's easy to get caught up in that too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. And so I do, I have a couple other questions. Um, one, and I know we touched on some of it, but like, and well, first, I think too, because of your, and I imagine, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, your experience with rehab multiple times. And so rehab and relapse and coming back that, you know, how big a year is like, that's huge coming up, even with the other things that you have 
been dealing right. with. Yeah, the little asterisks. Yeah. That's and that's fine, right? Like, okay, so this year has an asterisk. That's fine. That's a step in the right direction. But that's huge. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> it is. And it feel it feels it feels huge. I honestly never really thought that I would get there. So I'm mm -hmm. really tremendously grateful no matter how, you know. Um mm -hmm. I thought it was, of course, I expected it to be like simpler and perfect and, you know, nice and tidy, but um, mm -hmm. I'm learning that it's rarely, if ever, how it goes. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it, it is big. And I, um, it's cool because it's like never felt more possible. <laughs> I really didn't think, I didn't know if I was ever going to get there. And now I see like people celebrating time all the time and I'm like, oh cool like I get I kind of I feel like I kind of get it more yeah. now I'm excited to see um just how it turns out and what what's coming next I'm excited it's nice it feels like I'm good it should yeah going where I want to go mm -hmm. so what Sorry. do you what's that versus in that direction that yes that, that that's the, the direction of progress yeah right um, what are you struggling with now? Like today, like what are your, your big struggles in recovery or one big struggle? We don't have to pick them all. We don't have to pick it all apart, but like, if there was one that you'd say, huh, I've made it almost a year. And this is, this is still an issue for me. Um, in this moment, I'm struggling with articulating myself succinctly, <laughs> but <laughs> overall, um, to answer your question, what am I struggling with? Um, Connecting emotionally, allowing myself to connect emotionally on a deeper level. Um, I'm moving, I'm moving to a new place um, with a friend that I met through TikTok. Very excited to move. It's been something that I've wanted to do since um, I was young, live in a new place. Um, and something that I kind of promised myself that I would do in sobriety. Um, and so that's very exciting. But I was like, what are my, I had like reservations about, about moving in with this person as a roommate um, and as a friend. And I was like, what is it? What is it? I couldn't figure it out um, until I realized that they wouldn't, um, they don't allow me to sidestep or deflect like when a moment's getting serious or meaningful with humor or anything like if I make a little flippy joke to you know like throw off the trail they don't indulge that and they'll really let the moment land um with like meaningful things or things that aren't like really happy surfacey um and so <laughs> I realized that that's why I was kind of feeling a little bit reserved because I was like, uh oh, I'm, if I move in with this person, I know that I'm going to have to connect with some deep emotions and like sit with them. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but have this other person see how that is for me, like be seen um, in a way that I is not, I'm learning is not mm -hmm. very comfortable for me. I thought that as an addict to kind of like, I, my emotions can be volatile and I can kind of wear my pain. Like I will create crises to, you know, around where my pain is and just very um, expressive and messy kind of is how I feel as an addict. Sometimes I thought that that meant that I was emotionally available and 
in touch with what I was feeling, but I'm realizing that I'm a little bit more disconnected um, than I thought. Um, and that I think that even more surprisingly than that, I think I'm finally ready to connect a little bit more, even if that means not feeling great all the time and <laughs> feeling kind of exposed and clunky and awkward. So, yeah. Yeah. It's does that answer your question. I hope yes, it, it does. Absolutely. 100%. Yes. And you didn't even deflect with the snarky joke once. So it's, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, and I do the same thing. It's, 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 it's just, I think it's what we do with this, with this addict brain and, you know, and, and what's another one that they say, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, the old, the old timers say, and you're like, Oh God. And then you come to, and then you, and then you, you're in that moment. And you're like, Oh, of course. And then at one point you're the one saying it to somebody else. And then you hear it come out of your mouth. You're like, God, I sound so ridiculous, but <laughs> you'll see one day it's true. <clears throat> um, exactly. You know, and my, my last question is, um, is there any, do you have any advice for anybody who might be dealing with things that you've dealt with in the past or somebody who is saying there's no way I could be a year sober? There definitely is a way is what I would say. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I would say reach out for sure. Um, because that's something actually not to give advice that I have trouble taking myself, but, um, you know, I get a lot of messages from people or I see comments, um, on my content and on other recovery creator content, um, about, um, reaching out. I felt so alone in this, uh, watching your videos really makes me want to get help. Or sometimes I'll even get messages where they're reaching out to me for help, talking about what they're going through. Um, and the, the, so I, I, I love that. That's like a, just crazy to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, it's like, sometimes it's hard for me to believe that I can even be a part of helping to influence that. Um, but it's, the bravery of the people that reach out and are like, I can't stop using, I don't know what to do. Um, it gets to me because I know like what it takes to be, I still struggle with being honest, you know, about like the Adderall thing, the uh, over the counter prescription meds thing that I don't know where my sobriety date is thing, but I still don't, I'm still not going back to whatever being honest about that is so hard for me that when I see people doing it, um, I'm like, Oh, that's where the, that's what I need to be doing, you know, mm. do. So, um, and like continuing to go to meetings, if that's what your support system is, even if you are using, um, just staying close, still staying in the pack. Like, cause I used to break off when I would go relapse, I pull away from everyone and everything. Um, and feel like I didn't belong there anymore that people didn't want to see me that I didn't deserve to be close to recovery in any way. Um, you know, but I, now I see the importance of like still reaching out and staying connected as much as you can. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. true. It's absolutely true. And I, um, I was going to this Sunday morning meeting and that was my weekly, that was like, I never miss it. If I go to other ones, that's fine. But that was my home group. That's where I went every Sunday morning, but I also worked nights. So I'd always be tired in some meetings. I would just feel so exhausted and I didn't feel like I was able to, 
I wasn't receptive to anything. And then I started to feel these resentments toward the meeting itself and having to get up early and, and go, go to this thing. And, and, you know, I was like, you know what, I'm not going to the fucking meeting anymore and that I'm just not doing it. And I don't want to, and I don't have to, and I'm an adult. And so I just didn't for like two or three months, I didn't go to that meeting. And I think I went to other ones, but, um, and then I remember I think I like I wanted to stay up late and play video games on Saturday night or something really important like that, you know. And I, like, two or three months later, I go back thinking, "Oh man, they're gonna want to know. Like, I'm gonna have to fill out some sort of attendance card, or I'm gonna be in trouble, or you know." And and people were just like, "Oh hey, John, how was your summer?" And I was like, "Oh," and that was the first clue that like it wasn't about me at all. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "Oh." These people don't give a shit that I haven't been here. Right. They're just happy to see me when I came back. Yeah. So I was like, that was that was a big relief. And in that moment, I was like, oh, okay. That's why I come to this meeting every single week, even when I'm tired. Exactly. Because you know? yes. it helps, not because I have to. Yeah. Because I get to, right? That's another one of those shifts that for me is like, oh, I get to. This is this is good stuff. Yeah. Um again. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> um, tell me about where where re what rehab girlfriend is and where it came from, and why she exists and who she is. Pain, <laughs> pain, pain. Yes. Yes. Um, it came from. It's something that I've tried many times. Um, relationships with people, other people that are in rehab. Um, at the same time, so I kind of thought it would be funny um like that attention grabbing like that I thought it might be relatable a little bit um and also it started my dad was dropping me off at detox this latest time and I had just gone through the rehab before this latest time part of what led to my relapse I mean I wouldn't do anything differently but um how it went down was I met someone uh, fell in love with them while I was there, invited them to move in with me the day that they got out. We moved in together. Um, my IUD failed. Um, I got pregnant unexpectedly, uh, decided to go through with the pregnancy, lost the pregnancy, was devastated, angry at God. I was like, you know, fuck this noise, excuse my language. But um, really I like I, I accepted and I was sober until the day that I found out that I lost it um I was just really angry that that was the way that it went after I had accepted this unexpected thing and done my best that um broke my sobriety relapsed it was just all downhill from there um and then the relationship ended badly and I was um devastated um so anyway fast forward to after I relapsed about being devastated. Um, my dad's driving me to detox. And he said, you know, I, I had complained earlier to him about, you know, drunk in the car. Uh, you, when you told me I couldn't be an actress when I was younger, like, you know, that's what really hurt my feelings, my poor dad trying to make amends to me. And I'm like, why are you apologizing for that? This is what really made me upset. And he was like, well, if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to be an actress so bad, you should have just done it. You could have just done it anyway. Fuck what I said. And I was like, oh, he has a point. <laughs> Don't love that he said it to me, but he's got a point. So I kind of pushed those two things together of like, oh no, I've done it again. Um, you know, trying the rehab relationship thing out didn't work. Sometimes it does, never did for me. 
um, had some beautiful relationships. Love it. Don't regret it. Much love to all of my rehab boyfriends of old. Um, and the whole like actually trying to go for um, what I want to do in life and not holding back on that anymore because of mm -hmm. this dumbass fear of failure that swirls around me at every turn. Mm -hmm. So yeah, long story long. Yeah, I mean it's it's just it's hilarious for anybody who who doesn't or is interested or um you know rehab girlfriend on TikTok it's 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 well thought out, well written, well acted. I mean it's just that I mean, you know, I mean these these things are they're heavy but they're it's it's funny because it's funny because it's real. I know that sounds corny, but I just, I immediately was like, ha ha, yes, that's exactly right. That's, and you don't, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 44 and I have never been to rehab. I thought it was hilarious. So I, there's definitely something relatable there for anybody who's in recovery. Thank you. For sure. So you know, I mean, so I, I think that what you are doing and, the more and more I see of people doing recovery stuff and not just program-based or, you know what I mean? Not just, hey, we're going to get you fixed up, you this, that, and the other, and stuff that people can really, because people can relate to the failures. We can all relate to failures. And so, you know, and I failed so many times and it's like, what are you afraid of, John? You know exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. So you might not do it anyway, right? Right. So um, I highly suggest anybody go check you out on TikTok, Instagram, which is where I reach out to you. Um, but yeah. And thank you so much for reaching out. This has been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for doing it. And I guess I'm kind of glad that I caught you off guard so that it was a little more organic <laughs> yes yeah, sorry that was like, uh, like already regretting what came out of my mouth and how how it emerged but thank you awesome. so much for having me on this podcast it's so amazing um mm -hmm. what you're doing you know and your questions my god i've never thought so much and could you smell the gears turning yeah. <laughs> oh well that's you're awesome true. thank you so much julia have a great day um February 4th is right around the corner. I'm sure you got this dialed in. So it is. It is. Very, cool. You, Very cool. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at A is for alcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>